This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, so reading from Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 to 10. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 17 to 25. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned, when you heard about Christ, and were taught in Him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for, for we are all members of one body. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here today. We're going to be starting a new book today, the book of Ephesians, and I hope that you all will be able to follow me right now. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we truly rejoice that we can come together in this way, either through Zoom or through physical meeting. We pray for your word to be speaking powerfully to us because there is so much that we need to learn today. There's so much that we need to undo of the world, telling us of the falsehoods of you and our identity. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts mightily and that we will be able to concentrate and focus on your word. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now many years ago, I was uh, working in Australia and I went 
and had the privilege to watch an international football game between South Korea and Australia. And so I went to watch the, uh, the, the match, and you know, I was cheering for Korea, you know, go Korea! And then occasionally when Australia was doing well, go Australia! But then as we were coming to, to halftime, I realized that, you know, I really wasn't Korean. You know, the Koreans would be there, and then they'd be shouting, Dae Han Minguk, and then having this strange clap, and I'd be like, okay, I'm not really them. And then the Australians would be going, Aussie, Aussie, oi, 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 and no, that wasn't really me too. And so what I was experiencing was an identity crisis. Have you ever experienced identity crisis before? You know, maybe you think you're a very good student, and then you go to a school, and then you realize maybe you're not so good after all. Maybe you think you have this really great career ahead of you, and then you get to work and you find your career is a bit of a dead end. Maybe you think you're a young person, and then you start getting older. Maybe you're a, a working woman, and then you become a mother, and you stop working. Maybe you are someone who's going to retire. Well, today's passage is speaking in a way to Christians who are suffering a bit of a, an identity complex or identity crisis. And so the book of Ephesians uh, was written to people who were living around this area, okay, in the area of uh, Ephesus. Okay, but it wasn't just purely to Ephesus, it was probably written to people who were living around that area as well. So Ephesus is part of modern-day Turkey. And in fact, actually, uh, people go to Ephesus today on an archaeological holiday, and there are many ruins and things, uh, remarkable things to see there. But the book of uh, Ephesians that we're looking at today uh, really was more like a circular letter, which was sort of you know, passed around that particular region and spoke to various types of people and churches around there. And these people, in a sense, had a bit of an identity crisis. Because in those days, you thought of yourselves as Roman. And to be Roman were to be the rulers, to be the people who were in charge, right? These were the people who were the empire. Or you thought of yourself as Greek, right? The Greek were the previous empire, and they were renowned for their wisdom and their philosophy and their education. You thought of yourself as a Jew. The Jews had the law, the marvelous temple in Jerusalem. But if you were a Christian, really, who were you? First of all, the Roman law didn't recognize Christianity as a religion. It didn't recognize Christians as having any legal status in the empire. And so, you know, in many ways, uh, it's not just that uh, they had an identity crisis. There was a bit of an inferiority complex. You know what is an inferiority complex? It's when you don't see yourself as as good as other people. And so people will come to you as a Christian and say, you know, what is this God that you're worshipping? Uh, do you have a temple? Hey, no, I don't have a temple. We meet in people's houses, right? Do you have a priest? Hey, no priest. Any idols? No, we don't even have any pictures of God. And they're like, well, no, what sort of a joke religion is this, right? Because by the measurements of their world, no temple, no priest, no religious practices, no idols. And so here were people who were worshipping in a very strange way that people couldn't understand. And on top of that, you're worshipping a crucified man. On top of that, they lived in the shadow of the worship of the goddess Artemis. Okay, Artemis is not the character in the movies, but it's actually a goddess in the past. And the city of Ephesus and its surrounding regions were populated with the worship of Artemis. 
this is the recreation of the temple in Ephesus. Obviously, today you can go and see the ruins, but it seems like a pretty impressive structure, right? And Artemis was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So you can get a sense of how grand and majestic the temple of Artemis was and the worship that was taking place there. Okay, so it's equivalent to the pyramids, okay? And so here, even today, we, are, we have many preserved uh, idols of Artemis. So you see, you know, uh, Artemis there, the tall statue. And even today, you can find coins of, uh, that were used in the city of Ephesus. And here on the right hand, or on your right hand side, my left, you can see the picture of uh, Artemis. You see the, 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 the idol there on the right? And you see there in the coin, same picture, right? And on the other side of the coin, there would actually be the words inscribed there, Temple Warden of Artemis. That means the city of Artemis, the people of Artemis, saw themselves as the protectors, the custodians, and the wardens of the goddess Artemis. So you imagine how hard it would be for you as a Christian in this sort of setting. And obviously in Acts chapter 19, we actually saw that when Christians started gathering in the city of Ephesus, there were riots and persecution because the people of the city were, I guess in a sense, challenged and uh, they were insecure when they met up with these Christians who were growing. So here we see that Christians both had an identity crisis as well as an inferiority complex. I remember when I was growing up, I, I went to boarding school when I was very young in Australia. And uh, I remember when I first came back from our holiday, I told my dad, because you know my boarding school was like 95% white and, and they were all from the country. And I was like one of the few Asians. And I told my dad, I said, you know, I think it would be good if I was white too. And that was the reason, you know, because I, I felt inferior as an Asian. And you might feel like, you know, I wish I was taller. I wish I was stronger. I wish I was prettier. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was more successful, right? You may feel inferior to other people. And more and more as Christians, we may feel inferior in the world and society and culture that we inhabit today. So a secular humanistic world that we live in may say to us, you know, isn't Christianity irrational? Isn't Christianity anti-science? Surely science has disproven Christianity. Surely evolution and Darwin has disproven Christianity. We live in a naturalistic, materialistic world which says, how can you believe in miracles, right? I mean, how can you believe in the virgin birth? How can you believe in the resurrection from the dead? How can you believe in original sin? These are all fairy tales. We live in a postmodern world where it's seen to be progressive and Christianity is an old superstition. Right? Why do you want to believe these old superstitions? You know, they are... They're stopping you from progressing to, to become more happy or more fulfilled or, or more just in this world. And so as Christians, we may feel that we have an identity crisis and an inferiority complex. But this is where the book of Ephesians really comes and helps us. So as we look at this first passage which uh, Joel uh, read to us, the first thing we learn in the book of Ephesians, which carries through all the way, is that God is a cosmic God. He is like cosmic in the sense, if you look at the definition in the dictionary, he, he is like beyond this world. He is awesome. He is powerful. And so here, as we look at this passage, 
we see that God chose us in Him, in Jesus, before the creation of His world. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Oops. Through Jesus Christ. Goes on to say that Jesus, that God right, purposed in Christ to put effect His will when times reach their fulfillment. And so even as we look at the very first chapter of the book of Ephesians, which Andrew Wong will be preaching for us uh, next week, we see a picture of God who is cosmic. He was there before the Big Bang. He existed before existence. And even before existence came about, He knew us, He chose us, He predestined us, and He purposed for us to be in Christ and to be saved. In the past as well, He predestined that Jesus would come, die on the cross to redeem us from our sins. And in the future, He actually says that the whole purpose of all of these things, sorry, the whole purpose of all of these things is to bring everything under unity, all things in heaven, all things on earth, under Christ. So here we have a cosmic God, and we also have a cosmic Jesus, right? These are all the, the you know, it's to show the greatness and the majesty of God and Jesus. Because we have a cosmic God, and because we have a cosmic Jesus, then it goes on then to emphasize to us that we therefore have every blessing in the heavenly realms because we are in Christ. Now, this verse 3, we can actually spend a whole sermon preaching on. But what it's trying to say is because of this cosmic character of God, the cosmic character of Jesus, we can have confidence that in the past tense, God has, has blessed us with everything, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, when he talks about these heavenly realms and every spiritual blessing, it is to contrast the material blessings, the material blessings of this world which we feel are so valuable. But actually, compared to the heavenly blessings, they are not. Because heavenly blessings are eternal. They are not temporal. They are not of this world and they will last into eternity. Because God controls the whole of eternity, what He has promised in the past is presently ours into the future. And because God is such a generous God, he gives us every spiritual blessing. There is nothing lacking for us if we are in Christ. So this first part of Ephesians shows us because of the nature of God, His cosmic nature, His cosmic Jesus, whom everything in heaven and earth will be under, we have every spiritual blessing now, presently. So I was reading this book um, recently, and it said one of, the, one of the mistakes of churches and Christians today is that we put our arms around the shoulder 
of God, right? We put our arms around the shoulder of God, the Father. We put our arms around the shoulder of Jesus. And what has happened is we have sort of domesticated God and Jesus until they are almost like just slightly bigger versions of us so we can put our arms around them. But actually God and Jesus are not so small that we can put our arms on their shoulders. God existed before the Big Bang. He existed before existence. He is so powerful that millions of years ago, He knows you and He knows that you are going to be predestined to be saved in His will. He knows that Jesus is going to die on the cross for you and He knows that in the future, all things will come under the feet of Jesus. In this book that I was reading, he said, what we've done now is we've made God and Jesus into fridge magnets. You know fridge magnets? That's the size of the God that many people worship. We worship a fridge magnet God. We worship a fridge magnet Jesus. But do you do that? Is that the God that we worship today? Is that the God of the book of Ephesians? No, right? The God of Ephesians is a cosmic mighty God. The God that we worship in Jesus is a cosmic Jesus for whom all things will be under His dominion, His rule, and His kingship. Now, it is no wonder that Christians have an inferiority complex, an identity crisis, because our God, for many Christians, is so small. A fridge magnet God is someone whom you just sort of listen to once in a while. You, you read the Bible and you think, yeah, there's some good ideas. But this is not the reality of who God is. If God is truly this cosmic God, cosmic Jesus, then we are confident that He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So sometimes uh, Christians say to me, They'll say, oh, you know, non-Christians are very lucky. They get to sleep in on Sunday morning. Uh, maybe they sleep in and then they go out and have coffee, uh, ride their bicycles or play sport. Uh, maybe non-believers, they don't have to do, make sacrifices that Christians do. But actually, if we understand Ephesians and we truly understand who God is and what He has given us, the material things of this world and the blessings of this world are nothing compared to the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. I remember this passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, which compares Esau giving up his inheritance rights for a single meal. And this is like Christians who give up their faith because... They want to enjoy the material blessings of this world. And I always remember that the single meal that Esau gave up his inheritance for was a bowl of lentil stew. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find lentil stew very appetizing. I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's not something that I have regularly. But this, in a sense, is what the material world of today and its blessings is offering us compared to the heavenly spiritual blessings that we have already received in Jesus Christ. So which ones would you prefer? Would you prefer lentil stew 
Or would you prefer the finest banquet that God can offer you? Because that is exactly what Ephesians is talking about. We already have every spiritual blessing in heaven. A mighty cosmic God has already achieved this for us. So do not feel inferior. Do not feel that this material world can give you more than what this cosmic God has already given you. Now, so if we were to look at the first part of the book of Ephesians, then uh, the big idea really is that he is a cosmic God who's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. The second part comes in Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how God has rescued us, not because we deserve it, but because of who God is. And who is God? It says there, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now you see here, this almost like this overwhelming repetition of these words, right? Love, mercy, grace, kindness. And together with these overwhelming combinations of these words, love, mercy, grace, kindness, you see these adjectives which push the limit of the love, grace, and kindness of God. God doesn't just have a little love for us. He has, it says, great love, right? Great love. Who is not just a little merciful, but he is rich in mercy. He doesn't just have some grace, he has incomparable riches of grace. And here we see that what we are as Christians is a miracle. To be a, a Christian is to be a miracle, a walking miracle. So I looked up the dictionary, and in the dictionary, the definition of a miracle is something which is unexpected, right? something which is outside the order of what you expect in the pattern of things. So right now, if I were to, to jump off this platform, the normal order of things are flat, fall flat on my face, right? But if I were to suddenly float up to the ceiling, you would say that's a miracle. Why? Because it's not expected. It breaks the order of things. It breaks the pattern of things. It breaks the expectation of things. And so if you look at this passage, the normal order of things is that we were to be, by very nature, deserving of wrath. And that's true. You break the law, you should get punished. That's a normal order of things. And if you break God's law, you should be expected to be punished by God. You expect to have His wrath come upon you for being rebellious and for being disobedient. But God, because of His character of great love, richness and mercy, His incomparable riches of grace and His kindness, broke that pattern and did a miracle. He did a miracle because He sent the cosmic Jesus 
the one for whom the whole of creation in heaven and earth will sit under his dominion, this cosmic Jesus lowers himself to come on a rescue mission and to die on the cross and pay with his blood for our sins. And that is truly miraculous. And that is what God has done for us. So many years ago, before I became a Christian, I still remember my friend brought me to uh, this church. And uh, there was this pastor, he was very excitable, he used to walk up and down the stage, you know. And he was saying that uh, he was really, really poor, he had no money to eat. And so he went, and he uh, went to his drawer, he opened his drawer, and what was there? $50! I still remember, $50, he said. And, and there was no $50 there before. Um, you know, he checked the drawer many times and he opened it and there was $50. Praise God. I didn't become a Christian that day. Why? Because I thought, you know, God, uh, he can only give you $50. I like, it's only $50, right? I mean, yeah, it's $50, but okay, so it's $50. But it was only much later on where I actually went through the Bible where I realized that actually God gives you a lot more than just the $50, right? I mean, if you look here in the book of Ephesians, God chose us before there was even any earth or any matter. He sent the cosmic Jesus who's going to rule, have dominion over everything, to die for me, to save me, to redeem me from what I deserve, the judgment of God. This is a miracle. And so if the first part is about what God is, a cosmic God, how he has chosen us and the blessings we have. Then the second part really is about how all blessings have come to us, not because we deserve it, not because we are good people, but because of God's grace, mercy, kindness, and love alone. So the first half of the book of Ephesians is all about what God has done, right? God takes the initiative for us. God takes the first step. God is the one who moves towards us. The second half of the book of Ephesians is all about what we do in response to the action of God. So in the second part of Ephesians, it talks about how uh, it gives a very general picture uh, of various things to do, but I like to see it under the, 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 the big overall picture of putting on new self, putting off, Sorry, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. So you can see it here in this passage. It says, uh, you were taught, in verse 22, you were taught, right, with regard to, the, to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desire, deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self. Okay? You must put off falsehood. So here, is the general picture of the second half of Ephesians. You put off like an old set of clothes. You take off your old clothes and then you put on your new identity. This passage wasn't read to us by Joel, but what we need to put on here is to follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 
So here, we are to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, we are to live as children as of light because God is like that. And so, this picture here, oops, is putting on this new identity in Christ. Right? The second half of Ephesians is all about putting on the new identity in Christ, putting on righteousness, holiness, love, and light. Okay, so I'm thinking, uh, okay, so some of you might have heard of uh, doing this illustration. So I'm thinking of changing my wardrobe. Okay, I'm thinking of changing my wardrobe. So uh, I'll ask you how it looks like. See whether it works for me. All right, so here am I. I'm trying this new wardrobe. I've, I've decided I like these bright Hawaiian shirts. So do you think it works for me? Is it me? It's me. Okay, Wesley thinks it's me. Is it me? Okay, Andrew Leong shaking his head. Is this, is, is this me? Do you think it's me? No, John doesn't think it's me. Okay, so, you know, what you wear, in a sense, uh, reflects uh, who you are. Actually, it's interesting because I saw some pictures of some of the youth uh, a few weeks ago, and I realized that uh, when they were young, their parents dressed them, but then now as they're older, you notice you can look at them, they all have a different dress. They all look different, right? They all have a different identity, and it's expressed in their, in their dress. You know, you, you, what you wear reflects who you are. So this uh, outfit that I'm wearing, this Hawaiian shirt, it's not really me. La. It's probably one of my sons, okay? Because I, I just, this is just not me, right? But what, uh, what Ephesians is saying is, because this cosmic God and this cosmic Jesus has, in a sense, acted on his initiative out of grace and love and kindness and mercy to save you, and to choose you, then you have to then reflect this new identity in the way that you put on Christ. Because, you know, the way you dress shows who you are, whether you're a slob, whether you're neat, whether you wear new clothes, or whether you smell, whether you are sloppy, or whether you're stylish. But, we are Christian, and as Christians, we need to put on our new identity all the time. So recently, I read this book called Half Time by this guy called Bob Buford. Very rich guy, owns a cable TV in America. And he made this very profound quote I felt in his book. He said that, I had chosen to make Christ my primary loyalty, but not my Exclusive loyalty. Okay, that's quite chim, right? Quite deep. But when you think about it, actually, is it is it has got a lot of truth in it, right? For many Christians, we put on our Christian identity or our Christian loyalty as a primary identity. But then we take off our Christian identity or our Christian loyalty at different times because it's just one primary identity. But we have all these other identities. And so Bob Buford, powerful CEO, executive of cable TV in America. So, you know, he puts on that identity. He's a very influential man in society, so he puts on that identity. But at other times, he puts on his identity as a Christian. But then he realized that actually, <clears throat> to be a Christian is to wear your Christian identity exclusively. All the time, there are no other identities 
that you can wear in different contexts. So some of you may go to school and you don't longer wear your Christian identity. Some of you may go to work and you don't wear your Christian identity. Some of you may, may mix with relatives or friends or sporting friends and, and you take off your Christian identity and you put on a different identity. But if a cosmic God has given a cosmic Jesus to die for us and this cosmic Jesus is going to be the one who rules and has dominion over all things and God has created a, done a miracle for you to save you, then you must exclusively put on Christ and this new identity all the time. So the question I want you to reflect on, uh, just talk among yourselves for about uh, three minutes, especially for those of you on Zoom, maybe you can talk in your breakout groups. Are you ever tempted to feel an inferiority crisis as a Christian? And how has this passage helped you? Do you put off your old self and put on your new identity in Christ? Okay, so uh, go, start discussing with the person beside you. Okay, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, we want to thank you for, you are truly an awesome cosmic God. Help us to see you as you truly are. Help us to apprehend, even in a very small way, just how awesome you are. That when we use the word awesome, we use it for such trivial matters, but you are truly awesome. Dear Father, help us to see the wonder that you can control, create, purpose, choose, predestined people. We thank you that Jesus is the one for whom all dominion, kingdom, power, might, and glory, and rule will be given to him. And we thank you that we are in Christ, and in Christ we have been truly saved from what we should rightly receive, which is your judgment. We pray for ourselves that we will put on our new identity exclusively at all times and not go back to the old identity. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.